Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 24. Here's what Jesus said. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. Now, let me fill in a little gap here quickly. It, you know, in that day, they didn't have, they didn't have clocks, you know. So the invitation was not, they would send an invitation out the day prior to the time of a banquet. And the servant would go to those who were inviting, uh, who were being invited, and they would say, you know, tomorrow afternoon, at, you know, such and such a clock, I will come tell you that the, the banquet is ready and you can come. Will you or are you willing to come to the banquet? And apparently everyone who had been invited said, yes, we'll come. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. We will attend. And so when everything was ready, servants were sent out again to go to those who had been invited. Those who had said they would come. But then something happened. He sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they with, all one, with one accord began to make excuses. Now these are the people who have accepted the invitation to start with. First said to him, well, I, you know, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, well, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, well, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, because these people had already accepted the invitation, now they're making excuses and they're not coming. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, well, go out into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Those kind of people were never invited to a banquet. But the master said, go invite those people. These People said they're not coming to invite these people. The servant said, and this is sometime later, the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them, encourage them, urge them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited and turned down my invitation shall taste my supper. Today we're going to look at this parable, the parable of the great banquet. Three things that this parable illustrates for us. Parables of illustration. Three things this parable illustrates for us. First of all, it illustrates the greatness of God's invitation to be saved. Second of all, it demonstrates the extent, the provision, and the urgency of God's invitation to be saved. Finally, this parable exposes the excuses that people use to reject God's invitation to be saved. I was speaking with a gentleman one time and I asked him, I asked him a legitimate question. I asked him a question that is founded in the truth of the Bible. I asked him a question that you can find in the Bible. I asked him, have you been saved? He looked at me and he was very sincere in his response. He said, Saved from what? Huh. Now, he didn't understand what I was talking about. To be saved implies that 
you know, you have a need in your life. You need to be delivered from something. You need to be rescued from something. And he didn't think there was any kind of urgency to deliver him from anything. He didn't understand what I was saying when I said, have you been saved? That's a legitimate question. Saved from what? I was perusing some spiritual content, content the other day and came across this from Dr. John MacArthur. He answers this question, and he answers it a lot better than I could answer it, so let me share what he said. Dr. MacArthur said, when I have preached through the story of the birth of Jesus, I am struck with the simplicity and the profundity of the Christian gospel. You can see it from the very beginning. It's right there in what the angel said to Joseph. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When the Father gave the incarnate Son a name, he proclaimed his rescue mission in no uncertain terms. Jesus, the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joseph, means Savior. Now, there is salvation in no one else. For there was no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the Savior. That's been the joyful news from the very start of the gospel. But you might ask this question. A Savior to save us from what? <laughs> well, that certainly, Dr. MacArthur says, is a fair question. The word Savior implies that we need to be saved from something. Saved is a synonym for rescued or delivered. It implies there's some kind of threatening condition, a dangerous, desperate, or deadly condition from which we need to be rescued. We need to be saved. And the question is, saved from what? If you listen to the way some preachers speak about the gospel, quite frankly, the condition of unbelief doesn't sound so grave. You get the idea that humanity mainly needs to be rescued from its lack of fulfillment. Maybe your marriage hasn't worked out according to plan. Or your child is not turning out to be tomorrow's Copernicus or Einstein. Or your dream career has turned out to be a dead end. You understand, you look at the travel brochures, you really want a month in Europe, but you end up with a three day trip to see your in-laws. Life just doesn't deliver. According to the gospel summer preaching, Jesus will take care of all of that. Jesus will fix your marriage. He will help you raise confident kids brimming with self-esteem. Self He'll help you climb that corporate ladder or breathe new life into your business. The only danger from which you need salvation is the shattering of your dreams. Everything you have longed for has turned out to be a nightmare, and that's the way it's going to end. But Jesus will take care of it. He'll rescue you from an un fulfilled life. I've also heard people presenting the gospel as if the great hope of salvation is relief from debilitating habits. Jesus has come 
to enable you to control your life. He's the step stool, the boost you need to get out of the hole that you've fallen into. That salvation is especially attractive to a society like ours that is overcome by lust and passion. Many are enslaved to sinful habits, drinking, smoking, pornography, even overeating. <laughs> Obesity is on the rise in many countries in America. It's almost an epidemic. Angry outbursts and uncontrolled tempers destroy homes and relationships. Sexual sin, both homosexual and heterosexual, plagues the entire world. AIDS ravishes entire continents. But Jesus will come along and he'll fix all of that. He'll pluck you out of the flood of dissipation by saving you from your drives and your desires so you won't destroy your life. Will the gospel deliver you from an unfulfilled life? From enslavement to debilitating habits? Absolutely, but that needs to be qualified. There is a sense in which the gospel secondarily makes an application to those things. When you are generally converted, you belong to God and the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in your heart. You have a new reason to live. You have the hope of eternal life and the promise of heaven. That has a dramatic effect on the lack of fulfillment in your life. And when you experience the power of the Holy Spirit to change you, you'll see victory over the debilitating habits and passions that your sinful nature generates. That's all true. But those are not the primary issues in salvation. Finding fulfillment and overcoming bad habits cannot be the most important concerns of the gospel. Why not? Because not everybody in the world is unfulfilled. In fact, this is an idea of lack, this idea of lacking fulfillment is actually a byproduct of our own Western culture. Throughout the world, there are many people who are living expecting very little out of life. They don't experience a lack of fulfillment because there's nothing to fulfill. On the other hand, many people are very content with their present condition. They've got all the wine, women, and song money can buy. And not everyone is driven to a point of desperation and disaster by their passions either. There are people who have a certain measure of self-control. So these things cannot be a universal problem. The real problem, the real thing from which we must be saved is our sin and our guilt. That's the issue. God sent Jesus Christ to rescue us from the consequence of our sin. And everybody falls into the category of a sinner. It doesn't matter, matter whether you are among the haves or the haves nots, whether you have great expectations or no expectations, whether you're consumed by your passions or exhibit a degree of self-control and discipline, you are still a sinner. You have broken the law of God and he's angry about it. And unless something happens to change your condition, you're on your way to an eternal hell. What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from the consequences of our sin. Those are the principal issues that the gospel solves. The truth is, even when you are delivered from the ultimate danger of God's wrath against sin, you may never realize your dreams. 
But when you come to Christ, the Lord realigns your thinking so that, that all you ever wanted, all you used to strive for, you count as lost and waste and garbage. Coming to Christ means the end of you. Also, though you'll experience the power of the Holy Spirit to gain victory over sin, you may never attain total dominance over your drives and your passions this side of heaven. Like Paul, you will strive with your sin to your dying day. Issues of fulfillment and sinful passions will be dealt with in the Lord's time and in the Lord's way. So if you come to Christ primarily to find fulfillment in life or to escape bad from bad habits, Jesus may not be what you're looking for. The church needs to get back to remembering what God sent His Son into the world to do. And that is to save His people from their sins. And a proper presentation of the gospel should always focus on that. The angel told Joseph, he is the one who will save his people from their sins. That is why you must name him Jesus, Amen. the Savior. Humanity's real destroyer is sin. And the guilt for sin is a real guilt. A God-imposed guilt that damns to eternal hell. That is why people need to be saved. That is why people need to be rescued. That is why people need to be delivered. That is what people must understand in the gospel. And that is what we must proclaim. That's a long statement, but it's true. Yes, God wants us to have a fulfilled life. God wants us to be free from those things that are destroying our life. But Jesus came for those things maybe secondarily, but he came on this mission to save us from our sins. Our rebellion against God. Saved from law, what? Saved from a lost life and a lost eternity. That's why Jesus came into the world. This parable illustrates the greatness of God's invitation to be saved. I can stand before you today and say, God invites you to be saved. <laughs> God invites you to be saved. And in this parable, Jesus compares God's invitation to be saved. He compares it to an invitation to a great banquet. Now, in that day, common people, everyday people, working people, people of the working class, they never got invited to a banquet. Nobody had the, the resources to have a banquet, to provide a banquet, a party. They barely got by from day to day. Only the richest of people would have a banquet, and they would only invite other rich people to come to their banquet. But in this parable, Jesus says that God has prepared a great banquet of salvation and everyone is invited. You are invited. I am invited. We are all invited to come to this great banquet and to receive the salvation that God has made possible for us. You know, the devil's a pretty good PR man. He convinces a lot of people of things that are not true. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Now you might say, well, the devil's, devil's never spoken to me. Oh, yes, he has. He's used people to speak to you. He's used the television to speak to you. He's used the society to speak to you. And he's even whispered in your ear. Yes, you've heard from the devil. 
The devil wants to hinder anybody from accepting this great banquet of salvation. And by the way, the devil is real. Jesus believed in the devil. I believe in the devil. That doesn't mean that the devil is real because I believe in it, but the Bible declares the devil is real. And he has convinced a lot of people that the Christian life is just a, a dull life. It's a boring life. It's a sad ex existence. The devil has convinced a lot of people that God's invitation to be saved is more like an invitation to go to, the, to a funeral than a feast. Satan has convinced a lot of people that becoming a Christian is something you do at the end of your life when you're worn out and you've enjoyed all the partying you want to have and you can't do that anymore. So that's the last thing you need to do because, before you leave this world because you've done had all the partying and all the fun you want to have. Now life is over. Well, let me accept Christ so I can go to heaven. And that's the plan in the minds of a lot of people. Oh, I'll do that one day. Let me tell you this, that day will never come. That day will never come. If that's your plan, that day will never come. And the fact that the Christian life was a dull, boring, sad existence is nothing but a lie. Nothing could be further from the truth. The invitation to be saved is not an invitation to lose, but it is an invitation to gain all of the rich and wonderful blessings that God freely gives to those who come to him through Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 12 says, For the same Lord over all is rich unto all who call upon him. <laughs> when you accept God's invitation to be saved, you receive the riches of God that you can't even begin to imagine. On the table of God's great banquet of salvation are heaping trays of forgiveness, brimming bowls of love, lavish platters of peace, overflowing dishes of joy, and an abundant buffet of all of the blessings of God. And the banquet of God's beautiful, bountiful salvation begins the moment a person gives their life to Christ and it will last for all eternity. God's blessings will never end. <laughs> You're invited to be saved today. It is my privilege to extend to you the, the, the invitation to God's banquet of salvation. Saved from what? Saved from your sin. Saved from your separation from God. Saved from the consequences and the penalty of your sin. And there's only one way to be saved, and that's by accepting God's invitation to salvation. And don't let the devil fool you into thinking, well, you know, I'll, that's a good thing to know, and I'll do that one day, but I'm going to live the way I want to live until I'm ready to do that. My friend, that will never, that will never This parable also demonstrates the extent, the provision, and the urgency of God's invitation to be saved. What is the extent of God's invitation to be saved? This parable demonstrates that God's invitation to be saved is extended to everyone. Nobody's left out. You say, well, I never got my invitation. Yes, you did. It's in the Word of God. I never got my invitation. Yes, you did. It's in the Holy Spirit of God that draws you to Christ. Luke 14, 17 quotes the servant as saying, 
Come, for all things are now ready. I ran a little acrostic of the word come, C-O-M-E, when it comes to salvation. C stands for children. Little children can come and be saved. <laughs> o stands for older folks. Older people can come and be saved. M stands for middle-aged folks. Middle-aged folks can come and be saved. E stands for everyone. Everyone can come and be saved. Anyone who is willing to repent of their sin and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can be saved. This is an invitation to everyone. Rich, poor, high, low, mighty, humble, extraordinary, average, educated, uneducated, white, black, red, yellow, judge, criminal. Anyone can be saved. And God wants everyone to be saved. Have you ever talked to somebody and they just bow their heads and they say, well, God would never save somebody like me. You know what I've done. Do you know how I've lived? God doesn't love me. God could never save somebody like me. I got good news for you. No matter how rebellious, no matter how sinful a person has been, and God knows it all, He knows all the gory details, no matter how battered and beat up and wounded and scarred by sin a person may be, God will save anyone. Anyone. Anyone who is willing to repent of their sin and make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. You know what whosoever means? That means you. That means me. That means anyone. Anyone. No matter who they are. No matter what they've done. Anyone who is willing to repent and call upon the name of Christ shall be saved. Isn't that good? God's a good God. You can't hide stuff from God. Have you ever tried to hide something from God? Now you can hide stuff from your family and friends and you can do all of that. But I, you know, I've discovered most things you try to hide eventually gonna come out anyway. But you can't hide anything from God. But here's good news. The one who knows you best loves you most. And he invites you to be saved. Our God is a good God. And by the way, everyone needs to be saved. There's no one so good that they don't need to be saved, and there's no one so bad that they can't be saved. No matter what you've done, if you're willing to repent and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. Isn't that good news? That's why we call it the good news. <laughs> Second of all, the, this par parable illustrates the provision of God's invitation. In that day, to provide a banquet that is described in this parable, the cost of that would be enormous. You know, to provide. Now, when you provided a banquet, that means you provide for not just an hour or so, you know, it was an extended period of time. Everything that anyone can eat, the supplies, the provisions must never run out. You wouldn't have a banquet like this and have a limited supply of provisions on hand. If you extended an invitation like this, it was an obligation on your part to make sure that everything anybody ever wanted would be available for as long as they wanted it. The cost of providing a banquet like this would be enormous and it was totally paid for by the host. He didn't charge admission. 
He didn't say, come to the banquet and you can come if you'll give me $20. Come to the banquet. You're invited to the party. You can come if you give me $50. No, it was the invitation is come to the banquet. All will be provided. The cost of providing salvation for the sins of mankind was enormous. And it was all paid for by God. Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross for our sins. The salvation that God offers is free, but it is not cheap. It costs the life and the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's nothing anyone can do to earn or contribute to their salvation. All we can do is come to God just as we are, repenting of our sin and receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God's invitation, he has provided it all in Jesus. You can be saved. I'd say, well, maybe God would save me if I joined the church. Well, joining the church is good after you're saved, but it's not a provision of salvation. Maybe God will save me if I start being good. You can be good all you want to, but you need Jesus to be saved. <laughs> the invitation is come. All things are now ready. Come. Come and you can be saved. This parable also illustrates the urgency of God's invitation. To be saved, you need to come to Jesus now. The invitation was going now, now. You go tell him to come now. All things are ready. now ready. Now. All things are now ready. To be saved, you need to come to Jesus today. Now, I know you probably have in the back of your mind, well, one of these days, I'm going to do that. When I was a kid, you know, I, God was dealing with me, and, and I concocted these scenarios of when I was going to walk the aisle at the church. I said, well, I'll do it on a Sunday night. Not a lot of people there on Sunday night. You know, I had all these concoctions of when I was going to do what I knew I needed to do. My friend, you don't need to put off the issue of your salvation. Not another minute. If you're not saved, you need to be saved now. Everything is ready. Everything has been provided for. God has issued the invitation. He is waiting for your response. And by the way, not to respond is to respond with a no. There are two reasons why you need to be saved now. Number one, the opportunity to be saved from sin ends when a person dies. And we never know when that will be. We anticipate living a long life. We want a long life. We anticipate having plenty of time. But man, life is so uncertain. I've been to three funerals in about a week. <laughs> life is uncertain. It is unsure. And the invitation, the opportunity to be saved stops when a person dies. That death seals their decision and their faith and their fate. The second reason why you need to be saved today is the longer a person delays in coming to Christ, the harder their heart becomes toward God and the more set they become in their rejection and sin. See, that, that's how we are spiritually. The longer you say no to God, the easier it is to say no to God. 
What you are today, you're going to be more that way tomorrow. The longer we live, the more our heart sets into our decisions and, and the things that we do. And the longer you live in rejection of God, the easier it is to reject God. Your heart becomes a little harder each and every day toward God as long as you live in rebellion and rejection of His gospel. You need to be saved today. That's why anybody who plans, well, you know, when I get 80 years old and I can't do anything anymore, then I'll give my life to Christ. No, you will not. By the time you get 80 years old, your old heart's going to be so hard in rejection. You will never come to Christ except by His intervention and grace. My friend, you need to be saved now. Amen. Today. I mean, why wouldn't you be? Uh, the banquet is ready. Salvation is prepared. Salvation is ready. The invitation has been offered. He knows who you are and all that you've done. He's made it possible for you to be saved. And he says, come. So why wouldn't you be saved today? Well, this parable exposes some of the excuses that people use not to be saved, not to accept God's invitation of salvation. Now, in this parable, the excuses offered by those who refuse the invitation to attend the banquet in this parable were obviously insincere and purposely insulting. They had already accepted the pre-invitation to be saved, but when the invitation time came, they began to make excuse. Now, listen, just listen. Who purchases a piece of property without seeing it first? The guy said, well, I can't come. I, gotta, I bought a piece of land. I need to go see it. Now, who buys a piece of property without looking at it first? Who buys a team of oxen without first testing them? Who's going to buy a tractor without first driving it and trying it out? And what newlywed bride is going to turn down the opportunity to put on her best dress and go with her husband to the biggest and best party of the year? <laughs> These are obvious excuses that were insincere purposely insulting. People use all kinds of excuses why they don't come to Christ. They say they won't come to Christ because there's hypocrites in the church. Now here's, my, here's what I have discovered. Most people who use that excuse are people who don't go to church. They use that as an excuse. They won't come to Christ because there's hypocrites in the church. And most people who use that excuse have never really been in church. That's the excuse they use. I've been in church. I've been in church a long time. I've pastored a lot of churches. I've been in and around a lot of Christians. And here's what I've discovered from someone who's been in the church. Most Christians I know are good people, honest people, people who really do love Jesus, people who really want to live lives that honor God. Yeah, we mess up sometime. And are not always what we ought to be, but the vast majority of Christians I know are good folks Amen. who love Jesus. And there's hypocrites in the world. People don't mind being around hypocrites in the world. There's hypocrite doctors, hypocrite lawyers, hypocrite <laughs> teachers, hypocrite students, hypocrite policemen, hypocrite businessmen, hypocrite workers, hypocrite politicians. And that sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? There's hypocrites all over the world. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I'm not going to that grocery store. There's a bunch of hypocrites in that grocery store. No, they'll go to the grocery store. 
I would rather come to Christ and sit between the two biggest hypocrites in the church every Sunday than die and go to hell forever with all the hypocrites of the world. You can't use that as an excuse. It's not a reason, it's just an excuse. Some people say they would come to Christ, but there's too much to give up. Let me tell you this. There's only one thing you really have to give up to come to Jesus. There's only one thing you really have to give up to come to Christ, and that's your sin. Those who use this excuse are like a dying man who refuses to allow the doctors to remove a cancerous and malignant tumor that is killing him because he's grown attached to it. Oh, don't take my tumor out. I love it. No, your sin is the very thing that's causing you misery, turmoil. Your sin is the very thing that's killing your body and will kill your soul for all eternity. And you don't want to give it up. My friend, there's something killing you and you need to be saved from it. And that thing is sin and only Jesus can save. Amen. Some people say they would give their life to Christ, but they're not sure they can change their ways and live the Christian life. And the truth is no human being has the power to change themselves enough to be a Christian. But only <laughs> Jesus will change you. You give your life to Christ, you don't have to change. If you give your life to Christ, you don't have to change. But if you give your life to, to Christ, God will change you. He'll give you a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. He'll make you different. He'll make you a new creation. He'll make you different from who you are. He'll make you different. You can't change yourself. God can and He will if you give your life to Christ. Some people say, well, they'd give their life to Christ, but they're angry with God. And that suggests that somehow God has been unkind or unjust or cruel. That's never true. God is never those things. No one loves you more than God. He proved that when He gave His Son to die on the cross for your sins. To be angry with God assumes that you have the right to sit in judgment of God. That's rebellion and sin. Job was a man who was angry with God. He was angry with God. And he lashed out at God and he fussed at God and he challenged God. He was an angry man. But finally he came to the point where he found peace when he repented of his anger and he surrendered himself to God. And he said, Lord, I don't understand this, but I understand who you are. And I love you and I'm going to live for you. And he found peace when he repented of his anger. You can be angry at God, but you need to come to the end of that and accept that God is a good God who loves you and he will save you and he will bless you. Some say they'd give their life to Christ, but they can't understand why there's so much suffering in the world. I can tell you why there's so much suffering in the world. It's sin. We live in a fallen world. And by the way, did you know if it were not for the restraining hand and power of God, there would be a whole lot more suffering in this fallen world than there is. If God just pulled his hand back, his power back, and just let the world go as the world wants to go, you would be amazed at the tragedies that would engulf the world, including engulfing your own life. It's by God's goodness and grace that we don't have more sin and suffering in the world. I can tell you, God is in control. And God has done something about the suffering in the world. He sent Jesus 
to destroy, destroy the power of sin and suffering in this world. One day Jesus is going to come back and He's going to rid this world of all suffering and all sin. Yeah, there's suffering in the world. I have questions sometimes about why this happened or that happened. But I trust my God. I trust my God. My little teacup mind, I can't understand a lot of things. But God is in charge of all and I know His heart. He's a good and loving God and I trust in Him. Some say they intend to give their life to Christ when the time is right. Well, I'm here to tell you the time is right. God, out of His providence and out of His goodness, has led you to this place this day. And He did it because He loves you and He cares for you. And He did it because He wants you to be saved. He wants you to hear this invitation. He wants you to come to Christ. And today is the day. Today is your day. I remember my day. <laughs> I remember my day when I came to Christ and He changed my life. And you know my mantra, I'm not perfect, but I am different because of what Christ has done for me. So come, children, come. Come and be saved. Older folks, older people, come. Come and be saved. You've been planning on it. You've been writing the scenario in your mind of when you're going to do it. Well, I can tell you the scenario is today. Come and be saved. Middle-aged folks, middle-aged people like me. You can be saved. Anyone can be saved. Everyone can be saved. The invitation's out there. The banquet has been provided. Salvation has been provided I'm one of those servants that God has sent into the world to say, come, come, come and be saved. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Come and be saved.